Okay, so uh, this message, I think, is one of the, the hardest one I've done out of these six because there is so much more to talk about than I could ever talk about in an hour-long session. And even writing the notes, I had to stop and take breaks from writing the notes a few times because I was just like, what direction do you want me to go, Lord? Because there's so much more. So this is like, I would consider this like the cliff notes of this subject, just kind of introducing the idea that most of the salvation that's going to happen on the earth is going to happen after Jesus comes back. It's going to happen in the exact same way that you met Jesus too. So like we're not running out of time for the people of the earth to get saved before Jesus comes back. This is a mis- this is a, a misconstrued idea from jamming together a bunch of scriptures. And you can know it's not the Holy Spirit because the spirit of Jesus is a spirit of patience. And when you feel impatient, you don't feel like Jesus. And when you start to think, okay, we got to get the whole earth has to get saved before he comes back and we're running out of time and it's clear he's coming and all these people aren't saved. That's, that's a fleshy idea that comes from the result of not understanding the scriptures we're going to talk about tonight. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask, would you release into our hearts hope and patience and clarity and sobriety in Jesus' name? So it's not to dismiss the idea that you need to be ready for the coming of Jesus. You, you individually need to be ready for the coming of Jesus, but you don't need to cram a ton of people through that door. In fact, you can't. And that's the, that's the way that the enemy wants to get us to miss being ready for Jesus' coming is to focus on everybody else getting ready for Jesus to come and not us. Okay, so item one, God has given the earth to man. And if you've ever listened to stuff I've taught, this is a concept that I, I bring up often, that God has given the earth to man. The heavens are, are the Lord's, the, the earth is man's. That's Psalm 115 lays it out really clear in a ton of other passages. But the reason that I talk about that so much is because that's the foundation of the Tabernacle of David. That's the reason that the Tabernacle of David is God's plan to redeem the earth. And it it really is. The Tabernacle of David really is his plan. So God's given the earth to mankind. I'm going to go really quick through page one of the notes. This has massive implications for the earth itself. All the trouble that we're experiencing is a result of mankind's leadership of the earth. Our lack of peace, lack of resources, lack of morality, lack of joy, lack of understanding, etc., that's all because of the what we want. That's all because of what, it's not just like people that don't know Jesus, that's what they want, it's what we want. It's what everyone's born wanting is a lack of peace, a lack of resources, a lack of morality, a lack of joy, a lack of understanding, because when we're born wanting to, to be in control of everything ourselves, and if you've hung out with little kids, you know that that's just, it is just true. It's true about people. And so there's not like some good people that don't want to be in control of everything. There's some people that learn over time to suppress that emotion and find ways to get along with people without actually getting their heart changed. But that, won't, that doesn't change the spiritual dynamic that God can see and demons can see and angels can see. So just because you can keep other people from seeing it doesn't mean that the spiritual laws that are, the whole fabric of creation are built on don't still work. So our whole goal is to get out of our own self-leadership and sanctified or into the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Lord honors our leadership. He does the desolating. According to the Bible, the Lord is the one that lets the earth become desolate because he honors what we want, okay? But we do the wanting. So he does the desolating, we do the wanting. And you'll hear all kinds of junky theology. It's like God doesn't do anything bad. Well, we're not even qualified to evaluate good from evil. So it doesn't really work like that. God takes credit in this passage for actually making the earth empty and a waste, okay? So Isaiah 24, 1 to 6. 
Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. Now, when I got ready to write the notes today, the Lord told me this is the foundation of the whole message. This is Isaiah 24, 1-6 passage. He told it to me supernaturally. I know for sure, for sure, for sure that I got the word of the Lord on this. So this would be the key passage for the whole night, okay? Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And that's actually happening right now. Now, if you go through Isaiah 24, which I encourage you to do that if you have time, if you look, all the things that happened during COVID are literally listed in order in Isaiah 24. Like the judgment of COVID related to Isaiah 24 is uncanny. The way that it talks about music stopping, like for almost a year, music venues were all closed. Like people not going out, people being shut into their homes, joy not happening, music not happening, like drink running out, strong drink wasn't even pleasurable. It's like all of these realities that were like very heart spiritual realities from COVID are in this passage. But I'm not, we're not going to read it all tonight. Uh, so the, the Lord himself distorts its surface, scatters abroad its inhabitants, and it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. Wh- why would that be? Why would there be a distinction between people and priest? One's supposed to be holy, the other common, and, and the Lord's saying, okay, this distinction, like you think, okay, well, I'm in, in church, I'm going to be okay. All those other people, he's like, no. It doesn't work like that, okay? As with the servant, so with his master. I'm, I have opportunity. I have resources. I'll weather this okay. And the Lord's like, I'm actually a design orchestrating the desolation. There's no hiding places, what he's saying. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. So what we saw begin in 2020, it won't stop until it's done its work. This is the the word of the Lord. It never returns void. It won't stop until he's done. So if you look, most of the earth's reaction to COVID was actually trying to get into a position where we could weather this better, right? That was the mistake. We should have gotten into a position where we were broken faster, but most of the earth wanted to get in a position where we could weather this better, And that's actually what's going on in Israel right now. Israel, if you don't know this, Israel actually had a response to COVID, which was much more militaristic than the United States. Like there were actually checkpoints that people couldn't get through. Their phones were monitored. If they gathered together and all the phones were in the same place, the police would come and break them up. Like it was really intense. And so that attempt all over the earth to get into a good place actually put us into a desolate place. And the Lord's like, I'm going to find you with more desolation until you stop running, which is kind of related to other things we've talked about. So the land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth also is defiled under its inhabitants because they've transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the, earth, the curse has devoured the earth. And those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Now, the curse is the curse pronounced in Genesis 3. So when you see this, therefore, the curse has devoured the earth. This is a curse that's it's actually, it's not some confusing thing, or I don't know what that curse was or who it was for. It's really plain. It's the curse that means death is the result of walking away from the leadership of God. And that's in Genesis 3. It's elaborated on in Deuteronomy 28, which we talked about in week two of this class in the homework. It's really put a fine point on Leviticus 26. And all the prophets 
and acutely, all the prophets talk about it, and then acutely described in Revelation 6 through 16, which is the seals, the trumpets, and ultimately the bold judgments. So when you read the bold judgments, you're reading the final capstone of this promise that the Lord makes in Isaiah 24, okay? Now, God has a plan, uh, uh, and it's really simple. It's that we can't live without God. That's the curse. We can't live without God. Now, God is so patient that we individually get about 70 to 80 years for strength to figure that out. And when you were, I don't know about you, but when I was 10, 12, 14, 18, nobody was following me around being like, you can't live without God. Though they might have been, and I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't listening to it that way. I was thinking I could check the church box, and I can check the college box, and I can check the girlfriend box. And I wasn't really, my life wasn't focused on the fact that I couldn't live without God. And it took me until I was about 40 to start to realize this, that this was true. Some people learn it real young. Hopefully our children are learning it much younger than we did. But some people learn it real old. Some people learn it, you know, near their deathbed, okay? But this is the curse, okay? We can't live without God. Now, God has a plan called Israel, to let mankind escape the curse. Now, you might think, well, wait, Tom, I think you miswrote that. That should say Jesus. But Jesus is the, the Messiah of Israel. Okay? He has a plan called Israel to redeem the earth. Now, you, you can't get into that plan apart from Jesus. So don't think this negates Jesus in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't. It just ties him to the actual redemptive plan, which is Israel. And if you don't know that, you can actually steal Jesus out of his entire nation, out of the whole plan, and make him your own little false god. And you don't want to do that. That's what most of the American church has a wrong understanding, that Jesus is like a, a an American thing or a Christian thing. <laughs> Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, and you can't pull him out of Israel, okay? So he's, God's got this plan called Israel to let mankind escape the curse, but we cannot escape our own leadership. That will never go away. So understand the distinction. You can get out of the curse, but you can't, God will not make you get out of your own leadership. So you can actually trick yourself that you're getting out of the curse while staying in your own self-leadership and be completely bamboozled by the enemy that you're saved when you're not. You're only saved to the extent that you're out of your own self-leadership and into his redemptive plan called Israel. Now, a lot of Israel isn't even in Israel. And that's what Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He says, not all who are called Israel are Israel. But that doesn't mean that the church has replaced Israel. And that's what really what we talked about when we talked about the remnant in that first week, okay? So that, your, your own self-leadership is something you have to choose to get out of. Malachi 4, 4 to 6. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Oreb for all Israel with his statutes and judgments. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is the same curse, that is talked about in Isaiah 24, it's talked about in Genesis 3, talked about in all the prophets, talked about in the book of Revelation. It's the same curse. So God says, I'm not going to make you get out of your own self-leadership, but I've done everything possible to get you into my redemptive plan, and I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to highlight how to do that. So the fulfillment of this prophecy is twofold. They asked Jesus, is Elijah going to come before the Messiah? And Jesus said, yes, he's going to come, and he has come. And he's the John the Baptist, if you can have it, is what he said. So John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, and what did he preach? Say it, say it loud. 
Repentance, very good. So he preached repentance. He, he preached get out of your own self-leadership. If you really look at it, he's like, your emotions and your thinking tell you to do X in a certain situation. And I say, don't do that. Do Y. Do the thing that the Holy Spirit is saying, and that will make you selfless, right? So if you look at what John the Baptist, he prescribed what to do there. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, if you have two tunics, give one away. If they, you know, like he gave him a whole list of ways to get out of your own self-leadership. Now, this is just the foundation of what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay, so I'm going through it fast. All the judgments are because God's people don't rule and reign with him. So when you think of a priest, that the title of this message is a nation of priests and kings. If you think of a priest, you think of a king, if you don't priest and king with God, you're actually a false priest and a false king. And all of the judgments are because God's people don't rule and reign with him. Now, I'm not talking about all those other people. I'm talking about you people and me people. We start off very vaguely understanding what God, God wants, and we don't understand how consequential our choices are, especially when we get the Holy Spirit and we start getting the ear of the Lord and we start praying things. We can pray amiss. We can do all th- kinds of things that cause wars and quarrels, right? And simply because we're trying to do the right thing, okay? This is so important because Israel is literally trying to do the right thing, but she can't do the right thing until she gets the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in 2 uh, Corinthians 3, in verse 18. It says that there's a veil on their heart. They can read the right thing, and they still don't get it until they turn to the Lord, and the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and the veil is removed. Does that make sense? So this veil is important. And wanting to do the right thing is different than actually doing the right thing. Okay, so all the judgments are because us people, God's people, don't rule and reign with him. We rule and reign opposed to him, mostly in his name. Now, this causes other people to exponentially increase desolation by wanting things wrong, wanting amiss, wanting the wrong thing. So it's really important that we want things rightly so that we can be a good witness to other people that they could want things rightly. And we'll see righteousness dynamically increase all around us. And what that means is the habitation of the Lord also increases. So Steph on Sunday, yesterday was preaching about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit like wine. That habitation will increase as we increase as a right witness of rightly wanting things. Now, if you think about that, what's a good example of God bringing some people into a space to start to learn how to rightly want things? They get in one accord and God pours out his spirit. Where where would you think about that happening? Acts 2. And, And then what happened in Acts 2? What was the net result Thousands of people got, what, what nationality were those people? Many nations, but they were all Jews. They were all Jews, right? They lived in different places, but they were all Jews in town for the festival. Now that Acts 2, that was a Joel 2 outpouring. And Joel 2 says, after my people do this prayer meeting where they rend their hearts and not their garments, then he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And then he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to get saved. What that means is when he gets the nation of Israel into the priestly role that she's supposed to be in, not trying to be priests, but being priests led by the Holy Spirit, salvation starts to spread out and, and a, a disruption, yes, of the natural world, but an order that comes down from heaven. That's what David did. David taught the military commander's kids to prophesy, an order came down from heaven and started to fill the whole nation. That wasn't just good for Israel. That was good for the nations that surrounded her. Because when Israel's at peace, you might be like, well, then the Philistines are losing. No, the Philistines are also at peace, right? If they're not attacking Israel, they're not losing people either. 
So Israel being at peace isn't just good for Israel. It's good for Israel and anyone who would want to fight with her. This is going to happen all over the earth when Israel walks into being priests on the earth. The, the, the fighting is going to stop. We'll see that borne out in the notes tonight. We're doing pretty good so far. Okay. Because I feel like I really got to go through this part fast. Okay. Now, the only way to rule and reign with God is by hearing and obeying him in real time. The only way to hear and obey is by the Holy Spirit, which is why the tabernacle of David is so important. It's also why it's so important when we try to do the tabernacle of David or when we make ourselves available is a better way to say it, to the tabernacle of David, that what we really are doing is making ourselves available to the Holy Spirit. If we just make ourselves available to this room or to each other or to some distant throne in heaven, that is, that's what Israel would be tempted to do. We want to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit. That's the one thing that makes everything different, right? That's the one thing required is hearing Jesus, hearing him and obeying him. Okay, so the only way to hear and obey is by the Holy Spirit. Man's self-leadership causes death. Excuse me. Forever. Our self-leadership causes death forever. And we, uh, there's a, a saying, when a man lies, he kills some small part of the world. That's true. And it's very hard to get that back. When we're a false witness, when we spread misinformation, you can't just like reel that all back and be like, oops, sorry. Like we have to recognize because of the free will God's given man, because he won't make us get out of our own self-leadership, our self-leadership, it replicates really quickly. And we want to be really, that's why your tongue can start a big fire because of the self-leadership and the way that we communicate a false witness, okay? So man's self-leadership causes death forever. Jesus' death, which was completely unjust, and makes it, that makes it infinitely powerful to cover all of our injustices. It makes the only way back into God's leadership unto the renewal of everything broken. I'm going to read that one more time. Jesus' death is the only one that could do this because he, he didn't do anything wrong, so it was completely unjust that he would die. He's infinitely powerful in his death to cover our injustices, okay? Now, that makes the only way back into God's leadership unto the renewal of everything broken. The only way, the only true way into Jesus' sacrifice, the only, what I mean is the only way you can really get under the blood of Jesus is through Israel. And this should, this should mess with your Western Christian theology a little bit. Let it mess with your theology for a second. Just understand, you were raised in a, in a culture that is not the same culture that the Bible was written in. You were raised in a very independent, individualistic, wealthy, it's all about me culture. But Israel is actually a family, and you can only get into Jesus through his family. And if you try to take him out of his family, you will get judged in a way that is very surprising. So we actually want to humble ourselves and say, all right, Jesus, when I said yes to you, what else did I say yes to? Because you said yes to a Jewish Messiah. You also said yes to a Jewish Messiah's family, a Jewish Messiah's dad, and a Jewish Messiah's reality, and he doesn't separate himself from Israel, okay? And that might sound like, okay, I don't even know what to do with that. It's kind of like airy and cloudy. Just let it hang out there for a minute, okay? This will be important in a minute, okay? So the only true way into Jesus' sacrifice is through Israel. You can't have Jesus without Israel. This will forever be true, not just for you, but for the thousand-year reign to come, okay? So the reason that I'm saying it this way is that there are going to be sacrifices in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount after Jesus returns for a thousand years. They're still going to offer animal sacrifice. And you might be like, that makes no sense. Is it just like 
God likes the smell? Is it like a pretty picture? It's to learn. It's, it's a learning thing. And it's a humbling thing to say, that wasn't a waste of the last 6,000 years of worship. That wasn't like some, okay, God, we, they all just had it messed up for that long, and when they got Jesus, no longer is that reality necessary. You can't get Jesus. You can't understand what he did for you unless you can see those sacrifices that Israel has offered and understand why. Why? Because your self-leadership causes death, and God isn't going to make a heaven where you can't sin. He's actually inviting you into his presence and giving you a history and experience, a testimony that overcomes sin without violating your free will. So forever, heaven is going to be filled with people that they smell the smoke of death in their memory forever, forever. And that's that's the main reason they choose to not put him to an open shame again. That's what it says. It says, if if you deny the Lord, and you have been filled with the Spirit and tasted the, the, the powers of the age to come. If you deny him, you, then you, you can't be saved because you would put him to an open shame and crucify him again. Heaven is filled with people that would never do that. They would never want to do that because they understand the pain of death. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of people that are going to get saved after Jesus comes back. And we can't just, like, hop over all this stuff that Israel's done, all this stuff that Israel is, everything that it matters, like, to us to understand Jesus, that Israel had animal sacrifices all that time. It mat- even though we've never seen an animal sacrifice, it matters that we know about it. But there's coming a moment in time where people aren't going to get saved just by faith. They're going to get saved by faith and eyesight. And they, that's something that they need to see. Does that make sense? So you, you got, you're, you're living in a very unique dispensation of time where there's a reward for faith right now. But when Jesus comes and he orchestrates the nation of Israel to be a nation of priests and kings, the nations of the world are going to see that with their natural eyes. They're going to still have to make a faith choice to believe God is, is God and Jesus is his son and is the Messiah. But it's different. It's, there's a different dispensation when you believe by seeing than you do just by faith. Does that make sense? So there's a bride that's choosing faith right now, a great cloud of witnesses. The door on that is going to shut, and there won't be any more option to be a bride that gets that benefit or that, that reward for, it. that's what he said to Thomas, right? He said, blessed is he who, who believes without seeing. That's gonna, that door is going to shut, but there's still a, a door open of salvation that's going to be salvation by a shepherd, by seeing things, by agreeing with something that you can go and visit and tangibly touch. And the sacrifices are an important part of this. Is that coming together a little bit for Okay, good. So the only true way into Jesus' sacrifice is through Israel. You can't have Jesus without Israel. This will be true forever, not just for you, but for the thousand years to come. Okay, so this is Romans 11, verses 11 to 29. It's the last part we're going to kind of do fast. I say then, this is Paul obviously talking about Israel. Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And we've had an experience probably a couple hundred years removed from when Paul wrote this where Gentiles started to introduce other Gentiles to the gospel and it started to become a Gentile thing. When Paul wrote this, that wasn't the case. This was still Jewish people inviting Gentiles into Judaism with a Jewish Messiah. Does that make sense? So we have to put this in the right context and understand we are a couple of thousand years from the time when it was mostly Jewish people proselytizing Jesus to the world. 
We're, we're living in this like weird iteration where it's Gentiles proselytizing to Gentiles. Mostly, a lot of people just being raised, much like Israel is, you know, a lot of Jewish people are just raised in Judaism. A lot of people that are Christians were just raised in Christianity, and at some point, they found their need for the Lord. For me, it took, like I said, at least two decades for me to realize I really needed him, and another decade and a half to be like, oh, I desperately need him. But I was raised in the church, right? It just, I didn't get saved until I realized... I can't lead my own life. That was a moment that was different than getting baptized or confirmed in the Presbyterian church. Okay, so this is what he says. Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, which it is, how much more their fullness? This means something. This isn't just like pretty poetry. This means a a ton more people are going to get saved when Israel gets saved. When Israel walks in the fullness of faith, she's going to be a beacon to the nations, and even the Gentiles are going to come to that light. Have you ever read that in Isaiah? That's not talking about before Jesus comes back. That's talking about when he comes back. That's the rise and shine. That's, that's light in the darkness is Jesus coming back, organizing the tabernacle of David with Jewish priests and kings, and all the land has already been allocated. So if you read Ezekiel 40 to 48, it's, there's so much detail about the temple Jesus is going to build. Jesus is going to build that temple. There's so much detail about the land allocated to all the tribes of Israel. There's detail about the family of Zadok. Like they get something really close to the Holy of Holies because of their faithfulness to David and the Absalom's rebellion. There's specific things about the, the temple hardware, like the pots and the pans, and this is where you go in, and this is where you walk out, this is where you wash. This is all after Jesus comes back. This is, this is not like some vague ethereal notion this is like concrete information ezekiel 40 to 48 and there's no passages from ezekiel 40 to 48 in this set of notes i don't think but we should be people that study these passages so that we understand not so that we know exactly how everything works that's the flesh wants to know how everything works the spirit wants to know how much god cares like the level of detail in the law isn't so that we don't eat shellfish accidentally it's so that we see oh god cares about what i eat like he cares all the way to, like, every level of decision-making I have, God cares about it. I can't do that on my own, reading what he wants and then try to do it, but I can, in the leadership of the Holy Spirit, give him, okay, what am I going to eat? What time am I going to go to bed? Like, when I mess up, what do I do, God? When I do this sin, like, you have the, the solution, not me, right? Okay. So I, uh, he says, for I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, for if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will the, their acceptance be but life from the dead? He's like, there's so much more that's going to happen after they accept Yeshua as their Messiah. For the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember, you don't support the root, the root supports you. So when you hear me say, you can't get into, the, into Jesus except for going through Israel, that's what this is saying. That root is still supporting you, according to Paul. He's saying that root doesn't even know it's holy, but it's still supporting you. Don't get haughty. Don't get outside of the way this is supposed to work. God has a plan for the redemption of Israel that includes her being important and integral to the Great Commission being fulfilled. She's into, he will not fulfill the Great Commission apart from Israel serving as a nation of priests. 
That's, that's kind of the point, is we get very impatient. We're like, no, all this has to happen before he comes back because he really doesn't require that much of me, so he can't really require that much of anybody else. That means everybody's not saved until we all get saved the prayer and do the thing, and then he can come back, and then, oh, it's just bliss from there. But that's not at all the nature of God, just your own experience of the nature of God. He's not impatient like that. He doesn't gloss over things. I mean, has he glossed over anything with you guys? <laughs> He doesn't gloss over it. He forgives things. He forgets. He, you know, as far as the east is from the west, he removes my sin, but he never glossed over any of it. I mean, we had real difficult conversations about it, and that's how we dealt with it, right? That's never going to change. That's never going to change. That's because he's such a good dad. He cares about our lives. He cares about our lives being full and true and good, not glossed over, and we do whatever we want. That's not heaven. That's hell, actually. That's what we're experiencing right now is people doing whatever they want, Right? So, uh, so don't boast against the branches. You will say, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be, be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? This should have real practical implications for the way we think about Israel. If you're like me, you probably mostly think about your experience of Christianity being like, oh, I'm like a natural branch, and Israel needs to come back to this natural thing. But God would say, actually, you were... It's unnatural that you're even part of this thing. They are the natural branches. Get it reorganized in your mind right now while you have time is what Paul's really saying to Gentile believers. Get it like Because God's going to do something that is going to offend a ton of people because this is not what they're expecting. There, a lot of people are going to actually serve the Antichrist because they're going to think we're running out of time. It says, if, my ma- if my, the evil servant thinks to himself, my master's delaying is coming, he gets into bad behavior. And there's a lot of people that are going to think we are running. They get impatient. We're running out of time. He delayed his coming. Oh, no, what do we do? And they start reacting. And the world is going to have a religious solution to reaction that is going to be worshiping an antichrist. And God's going to help it because he's going to give strong delusion and desolation because that's mostly what we want is to not be bothered with all the details of what God wants. But there's a lot of details about what God has for us, right, and what he wants to give us. This is kind of what we're getting into in these messages, okay? Uh, So uh, they also, if they're not continuing unbelief, um, where was I at here? 25, thank you. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. Now, this is the fullness of Gentiles in the first resurrection. Every time you see Paul talking about salvation, he's clear on the distinction. He's going for the first resurrection. He's going for the better resurrection is the way he says it in Philippians. He's going for, he's assuming you're going for that too when he's writing to you. So if you're like, well, I I mean, he's saying uh, there's a fullness of Gentiles coming and he's saying the fullness of Gentiles are going to take part as being ruling as kings and priests with God in Israel, not a bunch of Gentiles are going to get saved after Jesus comes in a, in a, not a better resurrection. I won't call it a lesser resurrection because I think any resurrection is amazing. But there's a better resurrection according to the Bible. Okay, That's Hebrews 11, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. 
Okay, so, um, so all Israel will be saved. As, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So, so the Lord is the one who's going to turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So that means that there's people that they're not sanctified when the Lord returns, though he is coming to save them. He's coming to rescue them, actually, from human captors and from oppression. But he's going to teach them. He's going to actually sanctify them the same way he's sanctifying you. He's just going to do it face-to-face, where with you, he's done it by faith through the Spirit. Does that make sense? So Israel's going to learn righteousness from the Lord, from the Messiah, in real time, as a witness to the rest of the world that they can learn righteousness. You're supposed to be doing this right now. Like, you're supposed to be the first fruit. You're supposed to be the saved-by-faith version. You're supposed to be the bride, like, partnering with Jesus by faith, saying yes to all of the things he's going to do face-to-face with, with this remnant of this nation, turning them into a witness to the whole earth and natural bodies. We're in natural bodies right now. We're supposed to be learning the same righteousness right now. Does that make sense? That's the point of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, is to actually do that as a witness. Okay, so, the, and then he says... Uh, he'll turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So that great cloud of witnesses that we want to be joined to, that's their dads is what that means, right? That's their dads, not our dads, right? Okay, item two, a nation of kings and priests. Exodus 19, 5 to 6. Now this is the Lord talking to Moses. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. This is, this is the Lord speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai when Moses is up there with him by himself. This is the irrevocable promise to Israel God made to Moses when he ascended Mount Sinai and received the tablets. Now, a priest, when you see this, a kingdom of priests and holy nation, we've got to know, okay, what's a priest? What's a king and what's a priest? This is the, the priest here is uh, the word Cohen or Kahane, H3547 or H3548. It's a person who mediates or makes a way for agreement between God and man. It's uh, somebody who stands in the gap, an intercessor, somebody who uh, introduces, like knows things about God and shares them with somebody else so that that person can connect with God in an inter- intermediary fashion, Okay. Now, God didn't choose Israel because he loves only Israel. And this is the mistake right now with Zionism that people are making. They think Zionism, the way that it's explained to us or the way we understand it politically, is like a favored status of Israel. God chose Israel because he loves the world. He chose a family to bring a redemptive plan through. That, That redemptive plan has cost that family dearly. But it's not like he's picked one family and everybody else can kind of go do whatever they want. He picked this family to bring a redemptive plan through that he would invite everybody into that redemptive plan through them. Now, that's not just true for Israel. That's true for you. <laughs> that's true for you. So you might be like, oh, I'm so blessed that, you know, I, I got ahead of Christian family. I learned about the Lord early, and now I'm in the kingdom. Woohoo for me. And he'd be like, yeah, but you're supposed to be a conduit for other people to see your weakness and your failure and how I deal with you in that. And instead, you mostly want to be a person who shows off how great you are at loving God right? That's different. And this is, this is where Israel has to get to her weakness and her need. So if you, all the people you read about in here that are held up as good examples from Israel, we know about their weakness, don't we? We know about their inability, not their amazing ability, but Israel, the nation is tempted 
to think that it's attractive to the world that she's strong and really good at being holy. And, but that's, she has to come to something that is not natural to the flesh to come to. So do you, okay? We've been talking about this basically every week. Okay, so God didn't choose Israel because he only loves Israel. He chose Israel because he so loved the world, knowing the world would misunderstand Israel. Israel was, has always supposed to have been a bridge between God and man. This is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. This is when the Lord called Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father and family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is because God shepherds. So the reason that he picked one family, one guy, basically, and was like, okay, your offspring, not even all your offspring, your offspring through a certain line, right? It's Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, but Abraham had more kids than just Isaac. and He had more offspring than that family line. But God picked that family line because he picks shepherding over goat herding. He picks to go first and let people follow. And he saw something in Abraham that Abraham would follow him in faith and understand that God was good and he wouldn't let him fall. This is, this is what Israel is, okay? So God shepherds, which means he goes first. Israel's following of God is intended to bless the nations until... Until it's going to end, the, the, the status of Israel in this unique role is intended to be temporary, just like David's tabernacle is intended to be temporary, just like when you read in Ephesians 4, and it says, God, by the Holy Spirit, appointed some to be apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets, until we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to his likeness, to the full stature of Christ. God wants mankind rejoined to him. And so when you read in Galatians, you, you'll, you'll see it says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek in Christ. Like when we come back to the Father, and now it doesn't mean that he'll love Israel less, right? He couldn't. He's an infinite lover. There's, him loving Israel with everything because he's infinite means he could love you with everything at the exact same time and not diminish his love for Israel either. Like we have to, we're actually called to learn this ourselves, that we would stop being favorites or picking favorites or, you know, trying to invest here. When you're investing in something, you're not loving like God does. He doesn't expect a return at all. He knows we couldn't really give him a return. He just lavishes love out, okay? So when you hear this, you can easily get it in the flesh and start thinking favorites and pyramids, that will take you way off course into the very things Hitler used to exterminate Jews, and you don't want to get into that, okay? Okay, so the, the shepherding aspect of God, he's, he's going to use Israel as a nation of priests until we're reconnected to God and are all one. Now, that might sound like uh, kind of like, how do you know that? Well, there's an easy way to know that. Where do the priests minister in Israel? Like if, there, if we had a whole, a whole bunch of priests that they're like, okay, we trained a Sanhedrin, now we got the priests all trained, they're all going to go work in the, and the temple's going away. The temple is going to go away before the Father comes back. There won't be a need for a temple. That means there's no need for a priest. Does that make sense? So we have to understand all of this is onto a redemptive plan that we're supposed to actually understand and know and realize, oh, Israel is the redemptive plan. Okay? That is the plan. So this is a characteristic of the redemptive plan. Leadership is service. It's, it's way different. Leadership in the redemptive plan is almost a, a 180 polar opposite of the way you think about leadership in the natural. And if you've ever led a church, you know this is true. 
Like, because God will make sure you find out that leadership in his kingdom is service. It's not elevation. And if you elevate yourself, he will bring you down. He likes to do that because he loves us, okay? So Luke 22, 25 to 27, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over other people. So when you hear a nation of kings and priests, you might be thinking, oh, Israel's going to be the top dog on the earth for a 1,000 years. That's not what I'm saying. Israel's going to be a servant nation for a 1,000 years in the spirit of Yeshua HaMashiach, her Messiah. Okay? In this world, kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But here, not here, exclamation point, not here. For I'm among you as one who serves, says the Son of God. I'm here serving. That means when Yeshua comes back, and makes Israel a nation of kings and priests. They're going to be a nation of Israel, a nation of kings and priests like him, like him. That's different than we would initially imagine that working, right? Okay. So this is the heart of David, establishing a place for others to come to God, the tabernacle, that Israel missed in Jesus. Israel could not see David's heart in Jesus because they couldn't see this was David's heart. David had, was the, the only guy operating rightly in the Holy Spirit in Israel, and he taught other people to prophesy and set up a tent and invited 24,000 singers, musicians, and gatekeepers to learn how to prophesy because he, was, he, he had a heart like God, like one that was, oh, the greatest goes to the bottom, and that's what he did. That's what he did. That's what Israel's going to do as a nation for the earth. Now, if the nations around the earth could see that right now, they'd be way less inclined to fight Israel, thinking that she's so arrogant, just thinks she's God's people, and, you know, why does she get all this stuff, and how could God promise her that land? Well, it's because we don't know God, right? We can't see that he's not like that, that if we could see the blessing Israel is to the world, we'd actually be a a different-minded people towards her. As the church, we'd be different-minded towards her, okay? So once Israel understands this, this heart of, of David in Jesus, her priestly and kingly role in the earth will just be starting. It will just begin. It's never really operated the way it's supposed to. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that? It, like just a, the, what was the one time her priestly role really operated right on the earth? It was when David was king. When David was king, it actually operated rightly. Even when Jesus came, she rejected the heart of God in Jesus, and the entire nation was destroyed. And then the temple was wiped out. And then for almost 2,000 years, there's been no Israel. There's been no political entity called Israel. There's been no genetic group of people that occupied the land from the river to the sea or from the north to the south or any of that stuff. That's all starting. It's getting ready to start right now. That's why the nations are raging. It's almost ready to start right now that the Great Commission would start to go out into all the earth in a way that's so powerful. The most amazing thing is about to happen. That's what I'm trying to say to you. The most incredible thing is about to happen, and you don't want to miss it because you've, you've been sold some Americanized, crazy thing that doesn't agree with the Bible about everything getting crammed into this really quick before Jesus comes back. And just because everybody believes it doesn't make it true. Make it true, right? We can look at the Bible and we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us unpack these things. And we can see, oh, he's doing something incredible right now with Israel. That's why there's a war there right now. Okay, so she, she will not understand this, that, the, that this heart of David in Yeshua, 
until she sees Jesus and begins to follow him by the Spirit, just like you. And that's what 2 Corinthians 3, 18 is talking about. It says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, that veil's removed, and then we go from glory to glory, strength to strength, just as uh, by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, so there's no other plan of redemption. There's like not some plan B for Israel. There's not some, he's going to come back and wipe his hand. Okay, you guys are all holy now. Because he loves them. You know, the reason that you've gone through a, a, a time of, you know, don't think it not strange, the fiery trial you've been in, it's because he loves you. <laughs> he likes teaching you that he's trustworthy. He likes that forever you're going to put all your weight on him because you're learning right now to put a toe on him and then a foot on him and then a knee, you know, then the weight of your leg on him. And pretty soon we're going to be standing only on him. And that's because he likes us, not because he's like, ah, I don't care about them as much as I care about Israel. I'll just give Israel the download, you know, the Matrix, Keanu Reeves download. That's never going to happen. They're going to learn righteousness just like we do. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with the Matrix, you should. Nah, not really. Don't watch it. David says, I don't know what David would say about it, but one time, one time David said something about it. If you want to know what David said, go back and listen to all the messages David's ever preached. That would be good for you anyway. Okay. So very few New Testament believers will find this path before Israel does. This is kind of the main point that I want to make tonight. When you look at the church, about a billion strong, I don't know where it's at now. I think before 2019, it was about a billion strong. I'll guarantee you it's much less now. When you look at that church, that's mostly a group of people that have not found what we're talking about. And you know that, right? You mostly hadn't found it probably before, you know, recently in the last decade or so. So very few New Testament believers will find this path before Israel does, this, this path of giving ourselves to God's leadership. There are, very, there, there are a number of Gentiles who will take part in the first resurrection, but that number is very small because it requires coming to an understanding of selflessness by faith unto persecution instead of seeing it modeled by a nation of priests and kings unto acceptance. So when Jesus comes back, this is what I mean. He's going to lock up the devil and all the demons. And the acceptance of this man is going to increase over and over exponentially and grow out from Jerusalem. It's, going to, it's actually going to be getting saved into acceptance, not saved into a cross. Does that make sense? So right now, there's a very small number of people who do that, who get saved under persecution, are like, yeah, this is what I signed up for. This is great. It's working. But that's the only way it works right now in a hostile environment where there is a devil and there are demons and it's not popular to give your, the leadership of your life to the Holy Spirit. But there's a great reward for doing that. But it's not the only way people are going to get saved, okay? So there are a number of Gentiles who will take part in the first resurrection, but that number is very small because it requires coming to an understanding of selflessness by faith under persecution instead of seeing it modeled by a nation of priests and kings unto acceptance. Matthew 7, 12 to 14. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. Then Revelation 20, 1 to 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is the beginning of Israel becoming a nation of priests and kings. This is the beginning of the Great Commission really discipling the nations into righteousness, okay? And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. 
But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the, that's the very few who find it narrow road bride that is sifted out of the church of our day. This is what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to send out my angels in the last days. They're going to remove from my kingdom everything that offends me. I'm going to gather the tares to be burned. That's the fruitless believers. And I'm going to gather the wheat to put them in the barn. That's the faithful remnant. The tares are much more numerous than the wheat, okay? Clearly, by every passage in the Bible. Um, And I saw thrones. They sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You might be like, well, who is part of the first resurrection? This is who is. Blessed and holy is he who has his part in the first resurrection. They, they aren't blessed and holy on their own. They're blessed and holy because they're taking part in this first resurrection. Right? Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this is talking about a group of people that are actually in faith they chose this unto persecution And they're going to live in resurrected bodies and minister to the nations just as Jesus ministered to his disciples in a resurrected body for 40 days before they were put put in the upper room, okay? Now, most of the salvation of the world will happen after Yeshua returns. Item three on page three of the notes. There'll be three types of people on the earth when Jesus returns. Reprobate is the first kind. That's those who give themselves to worship the beast and his mark. Now, it's not just the mark. If you really study the biblical passages, it's the mark, it's the number, and it's the name, all three. So you'd be like, I'm not taking the tattoo. And the Lord would be like, yeah, but are you, are you taking the number or the name? Like, there's more to it than the way our flesh wants to interpret it. There's, you're going to worship the Antichrist if you're not giving yourself to Jesus Christ fully in a, in a night and day prayer movement. According to Luke 18, according to Luke 21. I mean, I could literally sit here and just list you passages that say pray always that you, you can escape these days. you got to be praying always, okay? So the reprobate are those who just, they don't take that seriously, and they end up worshiping the beast because that is the popular thing to, that's going to be the most popular thing to do on the planet. It's going to be the most popular thing to do in the church is worship the beast. There's going to be good Bible reasons given by preachers to worship the beast and think that's worshiping God. It's happened many times in in the past. Resistors, those who resist the beast, this is the second type of person, his image and his mark, but don't fully give themselves to God. These will dwell in all nations. Many of these are in the church right now. People who will resist the beast, resist, resist worshiping his image, resist worshiping his mark, but don't fully give themselves to God. That will not get you into the first resurrection. That's called lukewarm. Jesus will spit that out of his mouth. It, he, he, he said five different ways in the letters to the seven churches, the way that if you don't repent and overcome, you will be cast out as a lampstand, okay? Now, Revelation 2, 10 to 11. Do not fear any of these things which you're about to suffer. Now, this is to Smyrna, the faithful church that's in persecution. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So in a letter to the church, Jesus says, if you don't overcome, you could be hurt by the second death. 
You could actually not make it through the better resurrection and be subject to the second death, which is a judgment of works, not a judgment of faith. You want a judgment of faith. You do not want a judgment of works. Now, many people, though, will actually be judged worthy of living with Jesus forever in the judgment of works. You have to look at, like, the way that God dealt with Cornelius, who had offered alms. God's like, I like this guy's works. And he sent Peter to this guy and said, tell him about the gospel. Give him a chance to actually go deeper than just his works. God's, he's, he's no respecter of persons. And he's, he's not unfair. It's just we don't understand all the details of the way he makes these decisions. But we, we don't want to be like, okay, what's the minimum I can do and still be in God? That's where the flesh goes. Okay, what's the minimum that I, that I could do and still be saved? That's what an, an unfaithful bride or unfaithful spouse would be like. What's the least I can do to be married to you? Okay, that marriage isn't going to go good. We want to always be asking, how close to you can I come? Understanding he has all these gradations of judgments, of rewards, of ways he looks at our, even a glass of cold water given to somebody in his name won't be forgotten, Right? So we have to understand, he is, we're not supposed to do his job of figuring out who's in and who's out. We're supposed to understand he is, he's got this amazing redemptive plan in great detail, and I want to get as close to him as I can right now because he's so merciful and so generous. Now, the third type of people are martyrs or witnesses. So we've got the reprobate, those who worship the beast. We've got the resistors, those who don't worship the beast, but they don't give themselves fully to the Lord. And then you've got the, the ones who actually give everything to him. They're called martyrs. Martyrios, is a, it's, it's translated as witness. Those who gave themselves fully to God, the leadership of the Holy Spirit is what I mean, unto persecution. They, they, they counted it all joy when people cast them out, reviled them, persecuted them for his name's sake because they, they knew they were going to get the reward. That's Matthew 5. This is, this is clear biblical doctrine. I'm not giving you some like extreme version of the Bible and telling you you got to do some crazy thing. If you don't have a cross, you don't have Jesus right now. You ha- look at the world. The world hates the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It hates it. So if you've got the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you should be getting some resistance from different places, especially within the church. And if you don't have that, you actually want to be asking the Lord, why not? Why not? And why am I trying to avoid it? Why do I consider successful Christianity, everybody liking me? Well, a lot of it's got to do with the social media generation that we live in. We think that likes mean we're doing something good for God. That doesn't mean you're doing something good for God. Likes, that's the world liking that. Now, the world likes some things that God does, but we don't judge things that way. We just do whatever God says and let the chips fall where they may, right? And you will get across if you do what I'm, what I'm saying. If you listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he, he, you don't do it. He does it. He finds one for you. The reprobate will be killed and await in hell until the second death. So this is where we're going to start talking about what, these, what happens to each one of these people, because you have to understand this to understand the, the nation of kings and priests. So the reprobate, when Jesus comes back, those who've taken the mark of the beast, worshipped the beast, worshipped his image, went along with the crowd, because that's what everybody was doing, they will be killed, clearly. Okay, so Revelation 19, 19 to 21. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. They're making war against Jesus after he comes back. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those. I had, I've had many people in my uh, lay, lay career as a preacher of the end times, I've had many people say, you can't be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. I've actually taught that myself erroneously. This passage should put that all to rest. He deceived those who received the mark of the beast. They got tricked into taking the mark of the beast. So don't think, I can't be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. 
Think to yourself, God, I want to be so clear as you're pouring out desolation and delusion. I want to know exactly who I am and where I'm going. You don't want to just kind of go on autopilot because many people are going to take the mark on accident. He deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive, the false prophet and the beast, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. They died natural deaths at the sword of Yeshua and his army. And they will. The martyrs, that other group, will rule and reign in resurrected bodies from the new Jerusalem. So there's two Jerusalems when Jesus comes back. There's the earthly Jerusalem where there's going to be an earthly temple. And there's going to be earthly natural bodied priests and kings called the nation of Israel that are going to serve on earth in that city. The whole city is going to be holy, not just the temple mount. The whole city is holy. But there's a new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven. And most people that I've ever heard talk about it, they say it's, it's like it hovers. Heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool. And Jesus is the connection between the two. And people that go and are translated in the twinkling of an eye, the way Paul said it, they will always be with him. They will, where, where they will be with him in the new Jerusalem. They'll be with him on earth. There'll be pillars in the temple. David got this really cool visual that he, he told us all about a couple of months ago where he's like, I saw this like still photography, you know, that where the motion happens. And he's like, the pillars in the temple were the only thing that stayed constant. Everything else was a blur. And like, this is real. People, there's a very few number of people that are going to get in faith Part of that great cloud of witnesses are going to be resurrected. The dead in Christ are raised first. Then us who remain, Paul's talking again to people that he's assuming are going after the same things he's going after, which is that better resurrection. He says, we will be with him in the twinkling of an eye. They will live in the new Jerusalem. They will go out to the nations. They will travel. Like uh, I just picture like Philip, after he baptized the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he just like, boom, he moved like 40 miles away. But the speed of light, you know, the speed of thought. There will be people that are moving like this in resurrected bodies, but there'll be natural body people who move just like people move. Like they'll walk or drive or whatever they do to do their work in the Lord after Jesus returns. They're going to rebuild the cities of the earth. They're going to actually give instructions for construction plans and like, this is how you're going to do it. This is the way Yeshua wants it. He told me, I'm telling you, and people are going to resist them. They're going to be like, oh, I know he told you. And then they're going to have to go back and it's going to, over a thousand years, people are going to learn righteousness and authority and leadership. So you want, you want to be on, what I'm saying is, I, at least I do, I want to be as close to him as I can possibly be. I don't want to go through a thousand year bonus round of this. I don't, this is going to slowly reverse. It's going it, to, because he's not going to violate anyone's free will, and he's going to teach righteousness just like he does right now to the same kind of people that there are right now. And so it's gonna, that means it's going to take a long time, actually, for the earth to start to manifest the fruit of his righteousness front to the ends of the earth. A thousand years, to be precise, is how long it's going to take. Okay, so that's a long time. I've only been alive for less than a tenth of that, and already I'm like, I'd take option B, personally. Okay, now... Uh, they will rule and reign over those who are left of the nations. Isaiah 2, 2 to 4. This is what the people of the nations, those resistors, okay? So when we, we talked about the reprobate, they're killed. The martyrs, they're going to rule and reign in, in resurrected bodies. But then the resistors, those who remain, this is what they're going to do. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Other passages say that geographically, Jerusalem is going to be raised up. Like, there's, there's all kinds of weird geographic and geological things that happen when Jesus comes back. The, t- the Mount of Olives splits. A new river goes out from the Mount of Olives. The, it's raised up. Like, this, 
tectonic plate building, you know, things that we look at the earth, we're like, oh, this has happened actually before. When did it happen before? The flood, right? The flood created all, a lot of the mountains that we see now and moved the continents around. And that's going to happen when Jesus returns. A lot of, a lot of stuff is going to change, okay? And it says that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Which nations won't do this? None nations won't do this. Double negative. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Is this people that know him already? Not real well. Like they still have to learn his ways. And they're saying, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord's house and get discipled. Let's go up and learn about this God, right? He'll teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. We don't right now, but we're gonna. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. Wait, if this is after, if this is when the mountain of the Lord's house is raised up and Jesus is back, what do you mean he's gonna judge? He's gonna judge? Yes, he's gonna do the most of the judging is gonna happen after he comes back. He's gonna rebuke lots of people. He's gonna say, no, that's not how you follow me. So right now, we might have some friends that have the Holy Spirit working in them, and they're, you know, they're not so great at it. I'm one of these people. And they maybe say something a little too impatiently, or it's true. But they say the thing, and we like, oh, I don't like it when somebody says that I'm not following the Lord right. And the Lord would say, you might like it better from them than from me. I actually don't arbitrate with a man. I won't even say it. I won't say it in a way that you might consider nice. I'll say it in a way that's true and helpful to you and patient, though. And he says, actually, I'm trying to say it right now. If you just take what they said to you and come talk to me, then you can get into me saying it to you right now. And I'll actually do it in a way that changes you, right? And so this is going to happen, though, all over the earth. There's, no, there's not like some new plan for the nations to get discipled into Jesus. We're just on the leading edge of it that we do it by faith. But the nations will do it. Literally, they'll get in planes and cars. The Lord showed me once. He's, he's like, there's going to be people that get on airplanes, from the church. They're going to fly to Jerusalem. They're going to see some of their friends in resurrected bodies. They're going to say, Lord, I prophesied your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did many wonders in your name. What do you mean I can't be with you? And he's going to say, get away from me. I never knew you. That's Matthew 7. Literally, that's going to happen. It's not like fantasy. It's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says, okay? For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. He doesn't even come and make them get rid of their swords. They will, as they get discipled, say, what am I doing with this sword? I could be growing something with this. Why did I even have that? Because the nations won't learn war anymore because Satan's locked up and in prison. But this is different in the sense that you could do this by faith right now. And there's, a, there's such a great reward for giving all of your life to him right now. We are at the door. Like, we're the 11th hour workers. We could get paid the same as Elijah that did it, you know, a thousand and some years ago. We could get paid the same as Peter and James and John. We're the 11th hour workers, but it's still open to us right now. Don't lose these moments to do this in faith right now. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations. You might be like, well, what do I do if, if everybody else is still fighting and I beat my, my sword into a plowshare at the wrong time? How can I defend myself? And he said, that's your problem. You're always trying to save yourself. Trust me. Get across. It's okay. Let people hate you. Let them, let them threaten you. Let them say what they're going to do to you. Watch. I will vindicate you. I will vindicate you if you trust me. 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is after those who war against Jesus are destroyed. This is after that. Jesus will disciple the nations through both the resurrected and the natural-bodied nation of priests called Israel. They're both Israel, both the bride, because she's married to Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah, and the natural-bodied nation of Israel that's serving as a nation of priests and kings. They're both Israel. And eventually, they'll all be one. Because when everyone's in Christ, there's no longer distinction between Jew and Greek, male and female, right? It's all the, just all the, the uh, enmity is gone at that point. Okay, so uh, this is after the war. Jesus will disciple the nations through both the resurrected and the natural body nation of priests called Israel, just as Jesus ministered to his disciples after his resurrection, and then they served as priests to those being saved. Jesus has already done this, is what I'm saying. This has already happened where a guy in a resurrected body has come and taught people and been like, okay, now you guys go do it, and I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'll give you all the glory to go do it. Like, you don't have to have a resurrected body to do it. You have to have the spirit of the man who's been glorified because he did it, right? And this is what you're going for right now is a testimony to go along with your glorified resurrected body. And if you don't have the testimony, you won't get the body. Because the whole point of the body is to a witness, is a shepherding reality. You go first so that others can come, okay? This is why Jesus judges the church first. First Peter 4, 14 to 18, and this is talking about getting across and like don't be confused about that. And then it talks about uh, judging the church first. This is, the revelation judgments, they're the judgment of the church. That's why the whole story starts with, Letters to the seven churches telling her, overcome, or you're going to actually succumb to these judgments. That's all about the church. And that, when you see in Revelation 19, there's a bride coming forward. You see the judgment of Babylon, but that's not the end of the story for the nations, even close. That's the beginning of the story for the nations. He's going to judge the world at the end of the thousand years. The dimensions of the earthly temple, the allocations of land, I'm on page five of the notes, the establishment of the river of life that flows out of heaven and then down into the earth. Do you know the river of life that proceeds from his throne? It actually, its origin is in heaven. And it comes down to his feet and goes out from his feet to the earth. So you can read about the river of life in Revelation 22 and also in in Ezekiel 47-ish and in Zechariah. Uh, The order of sacrifices, the establishment of David's eternal princely role. David's going to be a prince in Jerusalem forever. And that's in Ezekiel 40 to 48. It's all laid out in great detail in Ezekiel 40 to 48. A temple will be required for a 1,000 years. A temple is less than God wants. God wants something better than a temple. He wants God with man. So we might be like, man, when he just rebuilds that temple, everything's going to be all right. No, that's midpoint. That's midpoint. He wants no temple. He wants to be with us face to face. Okay. Sacrifice will be required for instruction, not salvation, for a 1,000 years. This is Zechariah 14. Verse 16 through 21. In the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague will go up to Jerusalem. Listen to this. The enemies of Jerusalem. So those resistors I told you about, some of them will be enemies of Jerusalem. They're not reprobate. They didn't take the mark of the beast. Because it says clearly that those who do that will die. Are you an enemy of Jerusalem? You are if you want to help her with another God. If you want to help her politically, you are an enemy of Jerusalem. You might not think it, but you are. Just because we have good intentions towards Jerusalem, and just because we want Jerusalem to pick the same strength we would pick in her place, that doesn't necessarily mean we're a friend of Jerusalem. We're a friend of Jerusalem when we tell her the truth in love. That's how you're a friend of Jerusalem. So there's many people, they think they love Israel. 
but you can't love Israel apart from the leadership of God. You can't love Israel better than God does, okay? So there's enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague. They'll go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. Any nation in the world that refuses to come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies will have no reign. This is after Jesus comes back. If the people of Egypt refuse to attend the festival, the Lord will punish them with the same plague that he sends on the other nations who refuse to go. So apparently there's going to be multiple nations that it takes them a minute to realize, oh, he's not messing around. He is the king of kings, for real. And they're still going to be kings. They'll be kings that he replace. He'll take kings that hate him and kill him and replace them with other kings, and those kings still won't do everything right. Just like now. Just like now. Do you see what I'm saying? This is going to be much more natural than most people are picturing. That means it's going to be much more confusing than most people are picturing. It's going, to, it's going to take a minute for people to realize what's happening, partly because delusion is poured out, partly because we, he's not going to make us get out of our own self-leadership. He refuses to do that. You want to do that voluntarily. Where would you voluntarily tell God, I want to get out of my own self-leadership? The tabernacle of David. With other people that provoke your self-leadership, the washing machine, it makes you clean, right? As long as you use it rightly and tell God where you want him to get rid of your junk and not somebody else's junk. And you can tell him you want to get rid of somebody else's junk. I've done that many, many times. But he always brings me back, okay, let's deal with you. And then I'll make you helpful to get this speck out of somebody else's eye. But you've got a big log in your eye right now. Okay. Uh, any nation that refuses to come, on that day, even the harness bells of the horses will be inscribed with these words, holy to the Lord. The, even the horses' harness bells. And I want to tell you, there's still horses that run up and down the streets of Jerusalem all the time. And they leave big presents. And the cooking pots in the temple of the Lord will be as sacred as the basins used beside the altar. And in fact, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord of heaven's armies. Literally, everything that is used to cook food will be holy. The whole city will be holy. Now listen to this. I, just, I, just, I love to read this stuff. Uh, all who come to worship will be free to use any of these pots to boil their sacrifices. And on that day, there will no longer be traitors in the temple of the Lord of heaven's armies. It's glorious what he's going to do. He's going to turn everything around. He's going to turn all of human pride upside down. He's going to raise up the valleys. He's going to bring down the mountains. And out of that, Israel's going to become a nation of kings and priests, not because she rules over everyone, but because he rules over her. Because he rules over her. I love it. Then when the thousand years is over, God will judge the earth in the final judgment. Many will rebel against him again. So of those nations, of those resistors who didn't worship the mark of the beast, didn't worship the beast, didn't take the mark of the beast, didn't worship his image, were discipled for a thousand years, no demons, no devil. They were getting discipled into acceptance. The whole earth, the culture of the earth is to worship Yeshua, growing more and more and more over a thousand years. We think, man, a thousand years, and there's no devil, no demons, no liars. It's great to be belong to the Lord, like everything's inscribed with his name in the city of Jerusalem. I get to go there and worship him. Even then, man's heart is so hard and fickle and proud that a number as many as the grains of sand on the shore will fight Yeshua. And he lives in a city that's 1,500 miles tall. Natural-bodied people will try to fight him, though the city extends into the outside of the atmosphere because we are arrogant, wicked people on our own. And we are easily deceived by our own flesh, just like Adam and Eve, who lived in a perfect environment. The only way out of this is to give yourself to this man. If you want that, let's stand. Abigail, you want to come back up? 
Now there will no longer be a need for instruction. God's law will be written on all the hearts of those who make it through that final judgment of the earth. You don't have to wait. You can do that in faith right now. You can, you can do it by eyesight if you want to. You can wait for him to come. You can live your own life right now. Do what everybody else is doing. Try to have a nice Instagram life. And you, you still have a chance to learn this. But you could just put all that outside. Give yourself to letting him write his law on your heart right now. It's going to take intention, though. you got to give yourself to his government. If you want the law written on, his, on your heart, you got to give yourself to the government. That means you're going to make different decisions with your money, with your forgiveness, with your time. You're going to make different decisions when people go to war against you. You'd rather share in the fellowship of his suffering than fight back. You can't do what I'm saying on your own. You can only do it by the Spirit in faith. But if you want that, we can ask him and he will give it. He will give it. He makes a way for anyone who asks. So Holy Spirit in this room, where our heart is open. God, my heart's open. Write your law on my heart. Just tell him, write your law on my heart now. Now. God, I'm sorry where I'm trying to fight for my rights. I'm sorry where I see greatness wrong, God. Where I see authority wrong, I'm sorry. I might be fooling everybody else about how humble I am, but I'm not fooling you, God. Write your law on my heart. Holy Spirit, will you come? Just tell him, Holy Spirit, will you come? We need the Holy Spirit in this church. We've gone as far as people can go. This is it. The only thing we need is the Spirit. I want to tell you, we've gone as far as people can go. Holy Spirit, come. Just tell them, Holy Spirit, come. Come to my house. Come to the way I relate to my spouse. Come to the way I relate to my kids. Come to the way I relate to my city, to my church, God. Let me not miss one chance to let you change me now. Make me a, a, a priest and a king right now, God. Make me a priest and a king right now. I bless you in the name of the Lord. He will make his face to shine upon you. You'll turn to him and become radiant. You'll be a light in this city. I'm prophesying over you. You are going to be a light in this city. You don't have to wait for all these things to happen, and you're not going to. He's got amazing plans for you as a people. He's got amazing plans for you as wives, as husbands. When the whole world is getting deeper into selfishness, you're getting more into selflessness by faith. That's a miracle. You are a light in the darkness. Holy Spirit, pour out in Jesus' name.